Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. One of the great miracle accounts in the Gospels is Jesus quells a furious storm. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, that's the disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, sleep on the cushion. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, let's pray together. Father, this is a dramatic account in scripture. It is an eyewitness testimony of what happened. And we pray that we would see through these events to the person who Jesus is and trust him. Trust him absolutely. And we pray that would be true for the very first time, perhaps, for someone. For those of us who are Christians, that we would keep on trusting him and ever more deeply, we ask in his name. Amen. Now, the purpose of Mark's gospel, as indeed the other gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John, is to tell us about one man, and that is Jesus Christ. Who he is, what is his identity, what he said, and what he came to earth to do. The gospel books tell us about Jesus in order that we might understand who he is and therefore believe in him as our saviour. And also that once we have or when we have trusted in him as our saviour, that we might go on trusting him in the day-to-day stuff of life. Indeed, we might trust him ever more deeply. There are uh, four episodes in this uh, section of Mark's uh, Gospel. You can see them if you look in your Bible. The episode we read, 435 to 41, Jesus calms a furious storm. Secondly, 5, 1 to 20, Jesus heals a demon-possessed man. 5, 1 to 20, this man who lives amongst the tombs, the epitome of the living dead, a man out of his mind, not even clothed. And Jesus restores that man to his dignity and to his sanity. And then, towards the end of chapter 5, 21 through 34, there are two episodes kind of woven together. Firstly, that episode when Jesus is in a large crowd, maybe a thousand people, and somebody touches his clothes. 
And he says, who touched me? And the disciples said, what do you mean who touched you? It's a crowd. Power goes out of him. And that woman with an incurable illness is healed. Interestingly, Mark tells the story of the woman with an incurable illness. Mark says, and Mark is a a man of few words in his gospel, that the woman had suffered much at the hands of many doctors. Luke, who was a doctor, emits that verse from his gospel. And then, finally, the end of the chapter, that very powerful and moving account of how Jesus goes into an ordinary family's Jairus, his daughter has died, and Jesus raises that child. He brings her back from death to life. Now, these accounts are presented to us as factual events, not faith stories, not faith stories in the sense of myths. One of the Christianity Explored courses we have recently done, somebody said to me at the beginning of the course, as we were reading Mark's Gospel, they said, I have always thought and have always been told that these miracle accounts are faith stories. Or myths, if you like, that you derive some spiritual meaning from. And this person said, is Mark really saying that these are true? Of course, if they are true, then what a significant issue that is. Mark clearly believes these things happened. He writes on the basis of eyewitness testimony. Mark, the writer, bases what he writes on Peter's eyewitness testimony. And Peter was one of the disciples who was in the boat that day and who was in the graveyard when the demon-possessed man was healed and who was in the crowd. Peter said, Jesus, what do you mean? Who touched you? Peter was one of the few who was in the house with Jairus and his family when that little girl was brought back from death to life. Factual, historical, first-hand, eyewitness testimony. And Mark's uh, gospel scores highly in terms of any of the normal criteria for assessing the reliability of ancient documents. And these miracles, these four miracles, one, two, three, four in this bit of Mark's gospel, demonstrate Jesus' authority over different things, over nature, that's the one we read, over the demonic, over sickness and suffering, the woman who touches him, and over death, when Jesus brings the child back to life. And the catalog is strong. A raging storm, demon possession, incurable illness, and the last enemy, death. Together, the line that runs through these episodes, the destructive power of a fallen world, if you like, against humanity. And in all of these episodes, the power is met with a greater power, that of the Lord Jesus Christ, that causes us to ask the question the disciples asked at the end of the passage, who is this? Now, let's uh, look at the first of these four accounts in detail. The one we read, Jesus calms a furious storm. You'll see on the service sheet, it's a perfect sermon structure today, three points, and point three has three sub-points, okay? And my prayer at the end will have three parts. 
You always think as a preacher that you've cracked a Bible text when it comes out in a three and a three and a three. They, I mean, in some ways it's true. What these gospel writers do is write in simple uh, ways so we can understand when these were uh, oral uh, traditions, uh, a threefold structure. So there's the threefold structure. It's power of nature, power of Jesus, and then Mark gives us these wonderful questions to apply the passage. Three questions. Who is he? Don't you care? That's a great question. Don't you care, Jesus? And then from Jesus to them, why are you so afraid? Power of nature first. Let's read uh, the first couple of verses again. Uh, 35, on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with them, and a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already uh, filling. They're tired. They're getting away from the crowds, just normal stuff. And notice Mark's historical details, the other boats. The cushion, what do you make of the cushion? Well, somebody was telling me, and uh, I have no reason to doubt their uh, knowledge of this kind of thing, that the, the text refers to the cushion as if cushions were always there in the stern of these boats. And, and probably what it means is there was some kind of, of, of ballast some kind of, of sack with ballast at the stern of the boat in order to give stability. And Jesus was asleep on the cushion that, if you were reading this in the ancient world, you would know would be there in the boat. That's the point, I think. It's just normal details. It doesn't read like a made-up faith story. And what of the storm? A great windstorm. The waves were breaking into the boat so that it was already filling. It's some storm, how do you know? Because, helpfully, there were fishermen in the boat who thought they were going to die. Um, you've heard me uh, speak about my uh, love for uh, certain channels on television, like reality TV, uh, where you have all sorts of documentaries about things that very few of us find interesting. One of them... Uh, was a program called Trollerman. Some of you may remember that program. It was uh, from uh, these islands with people who spoke English, although they had to have translation because of where they were from. And they were North Sea Trollermen, and you went out in the boat with them, and it was a tough life. And uh, there you were on the, the bridge of the boat with the cameraman and the interview crew and the skipper was uh, leaning against the window, smoking a cigarette, and the waves were higher than the boat at this point. And uh, the person with the camera said, is this not really dangerous? And the person leaned back and said, no, it's fine. It's just a normal breeze. Peter, the apostle, um, who is no coward, thought with the others that they were finished. I caught another program on iPlayer this week of a similar theme about the worst and hardest jobs in the world. One of the worst and hardest jobs was a deep-sea lobster fisherman off the north coast of America. Similar thing. And that's the kind of picture we need to have in our minds here. Don't have in your minds a picture of a little skiff with a little sail uh, just being tossed around in the waves. It's a furious storm. It's not that we're meant to, to look at nature and be awed by it. Now, think in your mind, I have uh, 
dined out on my visit to Lewis recently as I stood on the northwest corner of Lewis, the butt of Lewis, with a full force of 4,000 miles of Atlantic swell hitting the edge of Scotland. And, and in a sense, your reaction to that is to awe at it. And then a little bit of fear comes upon you, and that's when you're on the shore. Think of the most awe-inspiring side of nature you have had. And then try to think of when you have been frightened by nature. As, of course, some people in our world this morning are, as Andy prayed. That is what's going on here. The devastating, destructive power of nature to destroy human life. Now, consider, secondly, how the power of nature is met with the power of Jesus. Let's read verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now, Jesus demonstrates his power, his omnipotent power, by doing two things. He removes the wind, and he removes the swell. It is therefore unmistakably supernatural power. There is uh, always in uh, a certain strand of Christian thought or in a certain strand of Bible commentary the desire to explain these miracles away in that they really are just faith stories. And you can throw all sorts of energies into explaining away with our modern understanding of climactic phenomenon and strange weather patterns. And ironically, I did, I have to confess, watch a program late last night on the Reality Channel called Strange Weather. And you can imagine how a furious storm, suddenly the wind goes. None of these books even attempt to explain why the swell on the sea went. Apparently, with a storm of any magnitude on a sea of this size, it takes between 8 and 12 hours for swell to dissipate on a large expanse of water. And, and you just have no room for maneuver in the sense of thinking this is a magic trick or an illusion or some kind of strange combination of climatic events. It is either true or made up. Notice how Jesus performed the miracle. He spoke, peace, be still. He stood up on the stern of the boat and said, peace, be still. I discourage you from trying this if you find yourself in a cross-channel ferry in a storm. People will give you strange looks and nothing will happen and you may be detained. But this is Jesus speaking and he stands up on the stern and he doesn't shout he says, peace, be still. Where is the power manifested? The power is manifested in the words of God. The power is manifested in the speech of God. Peace, be still, God speaks. God speaks and supernatural things happen. God speaks still as the gospel is explained. God speaks when preachers preach and supernatural things 
happen because it is God who is speaking. The power of nature, the power of Jesus, and then these three questions. Who is this? Don't you care? Why are you afraid? Now, let me show you in the text where these questions are so you can see. Firstly, who is this? That is a a question from the disciples about Jesus. So, from them about him, not to him, just about him. It's right at the end of Mark's account, the second half of verse 35. See it there. Who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? That's one question. Another question, don't you care? And that is a question from the disciples directed straight at Jesus. It's in verse 39, 38 rather. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And the third question, why are you so afraid, is a question from Jesus to the disciples. It's uh, there in verse 40. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Three questions. And these three questions that Mark records are, I guess, the three applications or practical ways that we understand the lessons for us uh, from this Bible passage. First then, who is this? Who is this then that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, why did Jesus perform miracles? What was he trying to do in performing these miracles? In his own words here and elsewhere in the gospel accounts, He performed these miracles in order that people might know who he is, might understand his true identity. So I guess the bottom line question off the back of this miracle is not, how did he do this? But who is this who did this? Who on earth is able to do this kind of stuff? That is the purpose of the miracles. Of course, you get to the heart of Christianity when you get to the heart of who Jesus is. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is it that silences the wind and flattens the swell? Who is it that comes to legion, a man demon-possessed, naked, deranged, and out of his mind and leaves him clothed and in his right mind? Who is it that frees a woman from suffering because she touched the hem of his clothes, and who is it that stood over a dead child, took her by the hand and said, get up, and raised her from death to life? And of course, it goes on through the gospel, the feeding of the 5,000. Was it really true or only true that Jesus' teaching when he fed the 5,000 people that day was so powerful? and so persuasive that he put into their hearts a wonderful spirit of generosity that those who had brought lunch shared lunch with everybody else? That's what people write. Because they have to. Or, who was it that took five loaves and two fishes and fed 5,000 men and 5,000 women and 5,000 children? What on, who on earth can do these kind of stuff? That's the point. And the answer, who is this, is that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. He is God in human form who has come into this world to rescue humanity. Now, let me just say again, that is the only conclusion you can reach if what Mark writes is true. 
that, that, that I think is a kind of robust argument. If what Mark writes is factually true, take all these miracles, not least Jesus' own resurrection from the dead, then if what Mark writes is factually true, then this man is God. Maybe you're not there yet in thinking, well, that what Mark writes is factually true. If that's a doubt that you have, I'd encourage you to do a course like Christianity Explored where you have time to look at the reliability of these gospel accounts. Now, it took the disciples some time to come to understand who Jesus really was. They weren't quite there yet, I think, in the boat that day. Who is he? Who is he? His life, his miracles, invites us all to answer that question. Now, second question, and it's a great question, don't you care? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? When you're a preacher and you preach on a question like, don't you care, you say, what a great question that is, and all over the room people nod or smile because they know it's a real question. What a real question it is. What a real question it is for people who are not Christians and what a real question it is for people who are. Don't you care? It's the why question expressed in a different way in the face of suffering and struggles and fear. Don't you care? And to whom is the question addressed? To Jesus. There he is, sleeping. Jesus, don't you care? It's not a hypothetical discussion between two people. Do you think that God cares? It's straight at God. It's straight at Jesus. That's what we do. It's what we say. It's what we feel. Now, we uh, read uh, an English translation here. I was saying in the first service, and uh, I suspect it's true in this service, that very often when someone leaves the Bible behind on a Sunday, I discover it's in Greek or Hebrew. I find that very unnerving because I speak neither. Um, the Greek here is sparky. It's not a, Jesus, I'm not really sure if you care. It's Jesus. Don't you see? We're perishing. We're dying. Do you not care for us? That's the kind of tenor of this. They are indignant, they are angry with Jesus, and the reason for that is his inaction, his sleeping, his apparent failure to recognize the life-threatening danger, his calm, his silence, they could not understand, and as they looked at him sleeping on the cushion, their immediate conclusion was to doubt two things, one, that he cared, and two, that he had power to do something. And of course, it is easy for us to trust the Lord when he dramatically intervenes and dramatically delivers. But the problem comes for us all, doesn't it? When heaven is silent, when the heavens are like brass and our prayers seem to bounce off the walls, do we trust in the Lord then or do we begin to think and say, don't you care? Now what Mark is trying gently to do here, and of course Jesus, is to help us to see that true faith, the depth of the faith, now I could say here the depth of the faith that the Lord wants from us as if this kind of faith is, is something that is gifted to people of, of special 
special Christians, specially holy people. Let me say it this way. The kind of depth of faith that the Lord has put into any one of us if the Holy Spirit is in us. The kind of depth of faith that the Lord has given you the capacity to have because the Holy Spirit, God himself, is in you is faith that trusts him. Whether he stands up on the stern of the boat and dramatically delivers us whether he is asleep and apparently silent. The faith that the Lord Jesus has put inside of us is the kind of faith that can trust him in the eye of the storm, the kind of faith that can trust him when it feels like or looks like he doesn't care. Now, I can only say that to you because I am the minister of a real church with real people. These kind of words, if you're not, just kind of bounce over people's heads, don't they? The kind of faith that Christians can have is the kind of faith that looks face in the eye of the storm, but it is true. It's true. Not because we're special people or specially strong. It's because God lives in us by the Spirit of God. Jesus is never off his guard. He never doesn't care. He is always powerful. Do not be taken in by appearances. The kind of faith the Lord Jesus has given us the capacity to have is that he is no less caring, no less powerful, no less in control when he appears to be sleeping in the boat than when he is standing at the stern rebuking the wind and the waves. That is what the eye of faith sees. We can trust him absolutely, always, and we must never doubt his power, nor we must doubt his power care. And notice this episode with this question at least is as much about his care as his power. That's such a human question, isn't it? Not, Jesus, you're sleeping on the cushion, show us your power. Not Jesus sleeping on the cushion, have you lost your power? Jesus sleeping in the cushion, don't you care? That's the human question. Maybe it's a question you have for Jesus right now. The circumstances of your life are causing you to ask that question, don't you care? Well, the Lord Jesus loves you and cares for you no less. We've seen that in Romans, haven't we? These very real and difficult phrases that are true for Christians, all things work together for our conformity to Christ. All things work together to bring us to glory. The sweet things, the bitter things, the good things, the hard things. And through it all, there is, as we'll see when we finish Romans 8, an absolute constancy of love and care. How does Romans 8 end? We'll come back to this. Nothing can separate you from what? His power? His truth? His love? His care. One last thing on this. Say you're in the eye of some storm, battling with illness or watching someone else you love suffering now. That is not the time when we're right in the eye of the storm and afraid that many of us, indeed most of us, trust without questioning, if we're honest. Most of us feel 
what they felt and say, don't you care? And if you are saying that to God, then that's okay. Because it's real. And the Lord Jesus will not withhold his care, nor withhold his power, nor care sovereignly for you any less if you say to him, even with the sparkiness of the Greek here, don't you care. Last question. Why are you so afraid? Verse 40. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, this final question is from the Lord Jesus to the disciples. It is from the Lord Jesus to us. Why are you so afraid? Now, if there is any anguish, if there is any heartache, or if there is any little smidgen of rebuke in the words of the Lord Jesus here to them and to us, why are you so afraid? If there is any rebuke, it is simply because he is indignant that we think he doesn't care. He almost wants to take us by the shoulders and shake us and say, look, why are you so afraid? You need not be. Why are you so afraid? It's me. Trust me. You have no need to be afraid. You see, faith's object in the end is not in the gospel or in theology. Faith's object is in him, in Jesus Christ. Your Savior is that man in the boat. And he says to us, you do not need to be afraid. Trust me. Why were they so afraid? Because they had no faith. That's the point that Mark is making. It's what Jesus says, isn't it? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? That's the point. Why were they afraid? Because they had no faith. And the answer to fear is faith. The answer to fear in life and death is faith in Jesus, faith in God, faith in the one who has power over nature and demons and sickness and death, faith in the one who stood on the stern of that board and said, peace be still. Faith in the one who said to the demons in that man, come out of him and restore that man to sanity and dignity. Faith in the one who is able to cure an incurable illness when someone touches his cloak. Faith in the one who knew, who had touched him, who knew what was in that woman's life. Faith in the one that went in to an ordinary house and brought a child who had died back to life. Goodness me. Can you not trust a man like that? in the eye of whatever storm we are in, in our lives, suffering, struggling. Faith in that majestic, powerful Lord and faith in the one who hung on a cross 
and was forsaken that you might be forgiven. And faith in the one who was raised himself from death to life that you might be raised from death to life. The power of nature, the power of Jesus, the question, who is this? Jesus is God, the Messiah, the Savior of humanity. Don't you care? Well, if Jesus is your Savior, he loves you with an inseparable love and he cares. If you're asking that question or if you do from time to time in life, well, you've got some good companions in the disciples. Jesus cares for you no less even when you say directly to his face, Jesus, don't you care? Why are you so afraid? What a great question that is, isn't it? Why are you so afraid? Who's asking that question? Not some preacher. The Lord Jesus. Why are you so afraid, he says to us? Have you still no faith? Have faith in Jesus. Keep on trusting him. And do not be afraid. Lord, thank you for these great and powerful and dramatic accounts in Scripture. How real they are, how true they are. And this is not a faith story in terms of a myth. It is real and living and powerful. Thank you, Lord, that the identity of Jesus is clear to us, that he is God, the Messiah. Who is he? Thank you, Lord, for the realism of that question. Don't you care? Spoken, not hypothetically, but to the face of Jesus. As he apparently did not care, nor was powerful to do anything about this storm. But he was no less caring and no less powerful when he slept and when he stood up and spoke. Why are you so afraid? What a powerful question from the Lord Jesus to all of us. Why are you so afraid? It's me, he says. It's your Lord. It's your Savior. Trust me. Keep on trusting me all the days of your life. Amen. Amen. Right.